All right. Well, tonight it's good to be in the house of the Lord again. I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. All the T books are together, Titus, Timothy, and Thessalonians. And so if you just find the T's and mess around in there until you come to 1 Thessalonians, you'll be in the right spot. Well, thank you again for all you have done for us. Thank you for the privilege of being here and <clears throat> for the beautiful accommodations and all the food. And uh, I really, I, I, I struggled to eat lunch today because after the Sunday school lesson, I didn't want to, I want to exercise temperance. But in the flesh, I did not want to exercise temperance, and so it was a struggle, And uh, but we survived, and then I, I got a nap, and so I'm feeling pretty good, but I, I, I'm kind of conflicted. I, I'll be honest with you, I'm about as nervous as a cat with paper on his feet. You ever took a cat and tied paper on his feet, let him loose on the tile floor? He wants to get away from the noise, but he can't, and uh, that's about how nervous I am tonight. And I'm, I'm conflicted. I don't know should I, if I should preach a really long sermon so everybody who's backslidden and angry anyway, they just leave and they're not, they're not interested in those. Or should I preach really short and everybody says, oh, we get out that time on Sunday? Yes, right down yes, man. That's what we're looking for. So I don't know. Uh, we, just have to, we just have to trust the Lord to lead, but uh, I'm glad to be here this evening. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. And if you would, if you're physically able, I'll ask you to stand to your feet as we read our scripture text. <clears throat> and here's what I want us to do tonight. I want to read this entire chapter. Chapter 3, all 13 verses. I'll read verse number 1, and then you read verse number 2. I'll read verse number 3, so on to the end of the chapter. When we get to verse number 13, you join me as we read verse number 13, all right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Wherefore... When we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. And sent. That no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God? Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. We thank you for your love for us. 
Thank you for a time to fellowship together and to be strengthened by the presence and love of one another. And now, Lord, as we open your word, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. Give us exactly what we need. May we go away different than we were when we came. We'll thank you and praise you for all that you do. For we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Our text for this hour comes from Paul's first letter to the church at Thessalonica. Now, Paul had come to Thessalonica and um, he had begun, he had gone into the synagogue, he had opened up the scripture, that was generally his custom, he had begun to discuss with them, and he was there for about three weeks. Now we know this according to Acts chapter 17, Paul was there for about three weeks and, uh, he just, and, uh, and many believed. But also among those who were there at the synagogue, uh, there were some unbelieving Jews who stirred up the city to raise a riot against Paul. And literally, Paul had to flee from Thessalonica for his life. And he left behind this little fledgling church. He'd only been with them for three weeks. New converts, not well grounded in the faith. And Paul has to leave them behind. And Paul has left them, but Paul has not forgotten about them. They're on his mind. He's concerned about them. In fact, Paul was so concerned about them that he had gone on to Athens and he thought it would be better for me as much as I need Timothy with me, it would be better for me to be by myself and send Timothy back to Thessalonica to see how things are going. That's what he said in verse number one of this chapter. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent to Motheus, our brother and minister of God. So he sends Timothy back to find out what's going on. <coughs> and then Timothy comes back to Paul and he says, hey, I've gone there, I've seen them, man, their faith is doing great, they're being strong in the Lord. And he brings Paul back this report. That's what Paul said in verse number six. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, that you have a good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction. He says, man, I was encouraged. And so Paul takes up his pen under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he sets down to write this letter to the church at Thessalonica. This is one of Paul's earliest letters and in this letter there is one overriding theme. In fact, you'll find that it echoes throughout every chapter of this book. And here is the theme. Jesus is coming again. Amen. Could I just say to you, that theme has not changed. Jesus is coming again. Amen. Marvelous message we bring. Glorious carol we sing. Wonderful word of the king. Jesus is coming again. You say, Brother Bertram, the world looks dark. Yes, but Jesus is coming again. You say, man, life is rough. Yes, but Jesus is coming again. Can I say, if we'll get up every morning and wake up and open our eyes and be reminded, Jesus is coming again. And before we lay down to go to sleep, be reminded that Jesus is coming again. It will revolutionize our life. Our problem is we've forgotten that we're supposed to be pilgrims and strangers in this world. Could I just say, don't drive your tent stakes too deep because tomorrow may be moving day. 
Man, what a wonderful thought that is. Jesus is coming again. In fact, Paul closes every chapter of this book with a reminder about Jesus coming again. I don't have time to go through it tonight, but with that as our thought, with that as our background, Paul is interested in this church at Thessalonica being ready when Jesus comes again. Notice what he says. The very last sentence of this chapter. He writes all this information about what has happened. He comes to the last sentence. It's verses 12 and 13. One big sentence. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love toward one another, toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Paul is seeking to prepare these believers for the day when Christ comes again. That's his purpose. He said, to the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. Could I just say, wouldn't it be wonderful if Jesus were to come tonight that we could stand before him unblameable in holiness? Paul says, that's what I want for you. That's my desire. That's my heart's desire. So notice in verse number 12 what his plea is. Here's his request, <clears throat> understanding that he wants them to be blameless. He wants them to be unblameable in holiness before God when Christ comes again. Here's his request. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men. Now, can I just be honest with you? That's not a, probably not the prayer I would have prayed. I would have said, Lord, make them to increase in faith. I mean, they need more faith. If they're gonna be ready to meet you when you come, they need more faith. Paul didn't say more faith. Maybe I would have said, Lord, help them to be willing to make a greater sacrifice for the cause of Christ. Help them to invest their finances. Help them to invest their life. Help them to invest their time, everything they have. Help them to give it to your work and, and put it into the altar for, for you and for your cause and your purpose so that when you come again, they'll be unblameable in holiness. But that's not what Paul said. Paul didn't even say, Lord, I pray that they will have a greater knowledge and understanding of the scriptures. Here's what Paul said. I pray that the Lord will make you increase and abound in love. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, I find that most interesting that God, writing, Paul writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, if you want to be ready for the second coming, here's what you need to do. You need to work on love. Now, why is that? Why would Paul say the great need that you have to be ready for the second coming is that you need to increase in love? Well, let me just throw out a few ideas. Love is the greatest commandment. If we turn back to Matthew chapter number 22, <clears throat> Gospel of Matthew chapter number 22, and uh, verse, verse number 34, when the Pharisees heard how that he, that is Jesus, had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, 
Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two law, on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus summarizes the entirety of the law with one word, love. James, in his epistle, refers to this thing of love as the royal law. He said in James chapter 2 and verse number 5, If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. <coughs> Have you ever asked yourself, why is this called the royal law? Well, it's called the royal law because it was given by the king. I mean, is that not who Jesus is? He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And he gives the royal law. Whatever comes from his lips is the royal law. And he said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Not only is it the royal law because it was given by the king. But it's the royal law because it governs all other laws. You realize what the Bible says? Paul said in Romans chapter 13 and verse number 10. That love is the fulfilling of the law. See, somehow or another, we have this idea that, that uh, you know, the law has to do with legalism or the law has to do with something else. Really, what the law has to do with is love. The law is a measuring stick for my love for God and my love for others. And that's why we don't like the law. Because the truth of it is, we really don't love God like we should. And we really don't love others like we should. Now, I want, you, I want to give you a thought that when, I, when it dawned on me, it really startled me at how true it is. <clears throat> all of our sin problems, I'm talking about everybody in this room, all of our sin problems are at their core love problems. One of two things, either I don't love God like I should, and so I sin. Or I don't love my fellow man like I should. And so I sin against him. You name the sin and I can show you how it is a failure in love. You say, well, you commit immorality. Well, that's a failure to love God because the law says thou shalt not commit adultery. And it's a failure to love my wife because I promise to be true to her. You say, well, you're guilty of theft. Well, that's a failure to love God because I don't love him. Thou shalt not steal. I don't love him enough to obey him. And it's a sin against my fellow man. I don't love my fellow man. In fact, I love money more than my fellow man. And I'm willing to defraud my fellow man to enrich myself. You go down the list, you can find every failure that we have, every sin that we have. Gossip, what is that? That's a failure to love our neighbor as ourself. Every failure is a love failure at its core. So it's given by the king. It's the royal law. <coughs> it's the royal law because it governs all other laws. By the way, it's the royal law because it grants kingship to those who obey it. Here's what a king can do. A king can emancipate and a king can empower. And that's exactly what love will do. Love will emancipate you and I from the bondage of hatred and bitterness and envy and greed. Love will 
emancipate and empower us to have victory over sin in our life? Love is the greatest commandment. One writer said this, he said, all defects in obedience issue from a a defect in love. The whole of law is love. There is no duty to which it does not incline and there is no sin from which it does not restrain. An unblameable holiness is the legitimate and necessary outcome of love. You say, well, I'll I'll just love Jesus. Well, how do you love Jesus? Remember Jesus hanging on the cross? He looks down from the cross. He sees two people. He sees John and he sees his mother, Mary. Now, I think we would all agree that Jesus must have loved his mother. By the way, I think we all acknowledge that John loved Jesus. He often refers to himself as that disciple which Jesus loved. He couldn't get over the fact that God loved him and he loved God. Now, if John loves Jesus, Jesus is going to go away in a short time. He's not going to be here. How is John going to love Jesus? Here's what he said. Son, behold thy mother. Here's what he said. John, I'm leaving, but you love me by loving others. What about Peter? Peter's there on the seashore, John chapter 21. Peter's failed, he's messed up. The Lord says to him, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Lord, you know I love thee. Here's what he said. How are you gonna prove your love, Peter? Feed my sheep. Here's the thing. We love him by loving others. Let me ask you the question. Who have you loved? Love is the greatest commandment. By the way, not only is love the greatest commandment, love is the greatest characteristic. You say, what do you mean? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that great love chapter. Paul writes this entire chapter. He comes down to verse number 13 and he says this. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. You say, oh, Brother Bertram, it doesn't say love. That's right, it doesn't. But it says charity. You know what charity is, don't you? Charity is love in action. How come when we give, we're not obligated to, we don't have to, but we want to make a contribution to something, to someone uh, because of our compassion for their need, for their situation, or the work that they're doing. How come we call that charitable contributions? Because the idea is that it's done out of love. It's not done because it's required of you. It's not done because it's expected of you. It's done because you have a love for that work or that person or that need. And you want to be moved by love. You want to do something on their behalf. The truth of it is, when we are saved, we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. And the work of the Spirit of God is to recreate in me the image of Christ. God's ultimate plan for our life is that we might be conformed to the image of his dear son. Basically what God wants of you and what God wants of me is to make us like Jesus. Now here's the thing. Here's what happens. The Holy Spirit moves into our life and he begins to work. 
He begins to move. He begins to mold. He begins to shape. He begins to prune. And he produces fruit. Now, what does the Bible say? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. First on the list, foremost on the list is love. Why? Because all of the others, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance, all of those other things are actually an outgrowth of love. They are a product of love. If we don't have love, we'll not have those other things. And so we say that Paul said, I want you to increase in love. That's my prayer for you. That's my desire. Because love is the greatest commandment. Because love is the greatest characteristic. But could I say thirdly tonight, that Paul says, I want you to increase in love because love is the greatest constraint. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And verse number 14 and 15, Paul says this, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Really, love is the greatest motivator, we could say. That word constrain has to do with being impelled by, moved by, uh, 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 motivated by, and that ought to be the thing that motivates us is love for God. You ought to be here tonight, not because you're looking to vote on a pastor, but because you love God. Amen. You ought to be here tonight, not because it's the accepted thing to do, but because you love God. If we would do what we do out of love for God, we'll find that if we love God, we're gonna be very consistent in our Christian life. You say, why do you go out and knock on doors? For my love for God and my love for my fellow man. I don't want them to die and go to hell and I've been given a commission from God and I love God and if I love him, I wanna obey his commandments and so I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna knock on doors and try to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, love is a great motivator. I have an evangelist friend of mine and he told me this story. He said uh, there was a man that he was trying to help. You know, you try to help a lot of people. And when you help a lot of people, you meet some interesting characters. And this was a guy that he was trying to help. They, they had had trouble in their home. The man had been unfaithful and, and the marriage had broken up. And, and the man had gotten right with God and he wanted to get right with his wife. And... Um, and so he was doing everything he could and he called the preacher up one day. He called this evangelist friend of mine up one day. And my evangelist friend said, I answered the phone and said, this guy on the other end said, hello, and called my name and he told me his name and we talked for a minute. And he said, uh, hey brother, would you like to buy a gun? Now that's a dumb question, isn't it? <laughs> Just say yes. <laughs> I mean, that's always the right answer. And he said, uh, he said, well, what do you have? He said, well, I have, a, I have this 22 pistol and I, 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 I'm trying to sell it. He said, well, what do you want? He figured the guy maybe hit hard times or something or another, need a little extra money and, you know, try to help somebody out and always help yourself by getting another 22 pistol, whatever it is. <laughs> he said, how much do you want for it? Here's what the man said. The man said, I want $132.28. Now, I don't know if you've ever done any trading. That sounds more like shopping at Walmart than trading. 
I mean, I'd have said $135. I'd have said $130. I would not have said $132.28. He said, it struck me all of a sudden, this is strange. Why would you call somebody and say, I want to sell you a gun. I need $132.28. He said, I got suspicious. And I said, now let me ask you, I want you to be honest with me. I don't, I don't want to find out something different later on. What do you want the money for? Here's what he said. He said, well, you know, me and my wife have split up and I've been trying to get reconciled. He said, I've been thinking. He said, she, she always said, when we were together, she said her dream was always that one day a knight in shining armor would come by. He said, now I've been looking online and I found that I can get a suit of armor <laughs> with a sword for $132.28. He said, I started to shake my head and then it got worse. He said, now she's working down at the bank. <laughs> now I don't think it's a good plan to try to walk into the bank in a suit of armor. That's probably not going to be well received. But he said, he said, I, I want to order this suit of armor and I want to put it on and I want to get some roses and I want to walk to the bank and I want to be her knight in shining armor. Now here's what we say. What a fool. <laughs> I mean, who in the world would humiliate themselves in that way to dress up in a suit of armor and walk into a bank? And... But here's the difference. We don't love her like he loved her. Can I say the world's going to look at us and say, you're a fool. Look at the money you give to that church. Look at the time you invest. Look at how you pray. Look at how you live your life. Look at all that you're missing out on. You're a, here's what they don't understand. They don't understand the love that we have for him. And love is the greatest constraint. Love is the greatest commandment. Love is the greatest characteristic Love is the greatest constraint. Hudson Taylor uh, was interviewing missionary candidates at one time. And he asked them this question. He said, why do you want to go to the mission field? And they had some great answers. One man said, well, Jesus said, go into all the world. He said, that's right. Another person said, well, millions are dying. They're all headed for hell and we need to save what we can. He said, that's a good answer. Another one said, multitudes have never heard the name of Jesus and we must go and tell them. He said, that's good. But he said, in fact, those are all reasons. But there is but one motive that will keep you on the mission field through all the difficulties, and the disappointments, and the dangers. If you go, you must go because of love for Christ. Amen. It is the greatest constraint Love is not only the greatest commandment, the greatest characteristic, and the greatest constraint. But love is the greatest covering. Let me read you several verses. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 8. And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Proverbs 10 and verse number 12. Hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. Proverbs 17, 9. He that covereth a matter seeketh love. Where love is thick, faults are thin. There is no marriage in here that has lasted more than 
maybe 20 minutes that has not discovered a fault in the other party. So how do you make it 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years? Love. Where love is thick, faults are thin. Now here's what love will do. Let's just suppose. I, I don't know it. Don't, don't extrapolate out of this anything. This is sheerly off the top illustration. But let's just suppose tonight that I knew something about Brother Ed Richards Jr. I knew some crime that he had committed. Some wrong that he had done. But at the same time, at the same time, I knew that he had done all that he could to make it right. If he had stolen something from somebody, if that were the case, he had paid it back. He had gone to them. He acknowledged it. He made it right. He made restitution. Everything. Here, here's the thing. If I have love for him, that's never going to come up in our conversation. I'm never going to say anything about that. Why? Because that's in the past. That has been dealt with. It has been taken care of. It is under the blood of Christ. It's in God's sea of forgetfulness. And it's never to be brought up again. And if I love him, I'm never going to bring that to light to anybody else. Though I may know it and you may not know it, you don't need to know it. Amen. I'm not talking about covering up crime that somebody has committed and that needs to be held accountable. I'm talking about things that have been done, that have been dealt with and made right to the best of our abilities. Love covers those things. It does not dig them up. Could I just say one of the great dangers that we have because we're made of flesh is that we are busy looking for faults in one another and trying to dig up things from the past. And here's what we ought to do. If we love one another, love is the greatest covering. By the way, does God know anything about your past? God knows more about your past than anybody else. But his love is so great that he takes all of your sins as you confess them and forsake them and he covers them in blood never to be remembered against you again. Jesus asked the question. He asked it to Peter. He said, lovest thou me? Here's what John's admonition to us is. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Let me ask you. Are you ready to be found at his coming, unblameable in holiness? You say, preacher, I'm just not sure. There's some areas in my, I'll tell you the area we have to work on. I have to work on, you have to work on, that we might increase in love. For the greatest of these is love. With our heads bowed and eyes closed tonight.
I wonder how many of us would be here and you'd say, Brother Bertram, God spoke to my heart tonight. Truth of it is, I can look at my life and I know there's some areas that I'm failing in love. Maybe it's love for my fellow man. Maybe it's love for God. You say, Brother Bertram, tonight the Lord spoke into my heart. Would you pray for me during the invitation that God will help me to increase in love? Would you slip up your hand and say, pray for me? That's me tonight. I see the hands all over the My hand is up as well. I see hands all over the room. I wonder maybe there might be someone here tonight and you'd say, Brother Bertram, I have to be honest. I don't even know for sure that I'm a Christian. I'm concerned about where I'd spend eternity. Brother Bertram, would you pray for me? Could I just say this, this evening that God loves you? God loves you so much he sent his own son to be your substitute to die in your place to pay your sin debt. His great love for you compelled him to go to Calvary. Love is the greatest constraint. Now I wonder if you're here tonight and you say, I'm just not sure that I'm on my way to heaven. Would you pray for me? Would you slip up your hand and say, pray for me, Brother Bertrand? I'm just not sure that I'm a Christian. I want to stand to our feet with our heads bowed, eyes closed. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, for how clearly it speaks to us, how, how close it comes to our very life, how it examines us and shows us our shortcomings and our failures. But then it always gives us the answer. Lord, I think tonight the answer that all of us need is that we might increase in love. Love for God and love for our fellow man. And I pray that as we recognize that your coming is so very close, I pray that you'd help us to work to cultivate love in our hearts. Not hatred, not envy, not bitterness, not strife. But Lord, love. First and foremost, love for you but then equally love for our fellow man, understanding that love is the greatest commandment, love is the greatest characteristic, love is the greatest constraint, and love will prove to be the greatest covering. Lord, for every hand that was lifted, I pray that you would meet the needs of that heart and life. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. With our heads bowed, eyes closed, pianist is playing. Maybe tonight you just need to come to an altar and say,